Dr. Bob Pye, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing? Oh, now I listen to this music. I am very good. So today, folks, this is going to be a low-key episode. This is going to be in Bob and I's wheelhouse, so you should enjoy it, even though it is a low-key. We're not going to be talking about cannabis too much today. Maybe, maybe a little history in the state, maybe, if we jump it in there, but it's pretty much going to be a travel uh, episode where we're going to talk about the Adirondacks specifically and traveling and how it fits to your personality and your lives. And Mr. Bob Pye, we're going to learn about a little more about my new co-host here today as well, because I don't think I've given him enough minutes of him speaking and, and teaching everybody about him. I'm good with that. You know, I know you I, are. I'm Silent Bob. Remember Silent Bob from the movies? Yes, Silent Bob. What was that? Wasn't there a Baba character in Saturday Night Live too that like everybody sat on or something? Uh, wasn't I don't know. Like, I, I didn't watch Saturday Night Live that much. Yeah, that was that was uh, the church lady. That was my favorite Saturday Night Live skit back in the day. Yeah, now it's all very political, and I suppose it's funny I, if that's what you're into. But not me. I haven't watched Saturday Night Live in a long time, probably for that reason. That's a good point. Uh-huh. All right. Yeah, too much of the uh, you know Sarah Palin and all that nonsense. Well, that's funny. It's when important. they make fun of her, it's funny. <laughs> it is, except, you know, she's from Alaska. Alaska's pretty and, cool. And she can see Russia from her window, and I think that's brilliant. I can see a road from my window. I, How the heck did we get Alaska for, like, a dime on the for an acre, like, when we got it? For all the resources up there, what was it that, that other countries owed us? Was it, was it Russia that we bought Alaska from? Sure. I'm it was very ahead. cheap, too. Yeah. I remember it was exceptionally cheap for as much oil as under Alaska. Reservoir. Did they know that? Was that a concern at that point? I'll bet you our founding fathers knew that it was there, knowing the way our You're thinking that, that, oh, my God, this gooey black stuff is going to be worth something. You know there's people in our country and the government that definitely knew that. Uh, all right. And how about, I'm actually going to look at this up right now because I did not intend to talk about Alaska today, but I'm very, <laughs> now I'm uh, in- uh, in- intrigued. Yeah, I want to know a purchase of Alaska by the United States. Hmm, the Alaska Purchase. Oh, that's right. I forgot there was a whole like document on the Alaska Purchase. I wasn't around. 1896? Definitely wasn't around. It was. uh, Russia wanted to sell it to Alaskan territory due to the difficulty of living there. Apparent lack of natural resources. Gold was later discovered in 1896. And fearing that it might be easily seized by the United Kingdom in case of war between the two countries. Hmm. Russia's primary activities in the territory had been fur trade and missionary work among the native Alaskans. The land added 586,000 square miles miles of new territory to the United States. And the person who actually negotiated it was was uh, Secretary of State William H. Seward, and he was razzed saying that $7.2 million that was used to pay for uh, Alaska, uh, which is about 100, worth $105 million these days. Wow. Okay, He was razzed, and it was called Seward's Folly. While others praised the move for weakening both the UK and Russia, as rivals to America, commercial expansion in the Pacific region, a lot of people razzed him for that purchase. And it turns out now, with, with the gold they found there in the oil, that was a pretty smart purchase. Uh, I'd have to agree. I, it's going to be one of my upcoming adventures when I turn 55. I plan on going up there. So 55? So you've never been to Alaska? Never been to Alaska, no. Nope. Do you know much about it? Have you done your research yet? I know there's a pretty big mountain up there. I know Juneau is the capital. I know they just had an earthquake. 
7.1, I believe. 7.0. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, national parks, like the majority of the state is a national park. Isn't right. It? Yep. Glacier National Park, if I'm, I'm not mistaken. I'm hoping to see a moose. I still have not seen a live moose. Have you ever what? seen a live moose? Yeah. You've never seen a moose in all the traveling. I've never seen a live moose in all my traveling. That is correct. Yes. Wow. Yes. Uh, out in the wild, obviously in a zoo. But in the yep. wild, I've yep. never seen a moose. Uh, I saw one in between Yellowstone and the Grand Tetons grazing in a marsh. I saw a mother and a cow as I was leaving uh, Maine. And I saw another one coming around the corner. I can't remember where it was the third one. But I saw a few, yeah. What stands out the most when you see a moose? They're big and ugly. Why ugly? Big mini head? Well, it was the it was the cow and she doesn't have the antlers and she just didn't really look Kind of resembled a big elk, right? Uh, from, the, from your sure. Yellowstone experiences, right? Like yeah, they're I, similar, right? Except bigger. I always felt that the elk was a little prettier. It had some nice colors to it. To me, a moose and the elk coloring and moose coloring are very similar. Or at least the moose from the Northeast seems to be similar you're colors. Colored blind. Ah, oh. there we go. <laughs> yeah, so Brian Lane is slightly colorblind. I do have issues with shades. I've been told one of my filters is missing in my eye. I don't I don't know if that's true or not. Oh. But I do know that my sister used to help dress me as a kid to make sure I matched before I left yeah. the house. Yeah. Yeah. And then you had your friends. Razz me for leaving the house unmatched, but they would never correct me. They would just tease me about right. it. Bob, Bob, does this match? No, it doesn't. Should I wear it? Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> oh, such is life having Bob as a, as a good friend back in the day. Can you guys tell? <laughs> so, so I want to talk a little bit about Robert J. Pye. I brought him on. I knew I needed another writer, researcher, someone that was very good to dig down at information very quickly and also a writer. And Bob Pye is a phenomenal writer. Well, I has been phenomenal. He is a very good writer. He's he's written many short stories that I've read. Uh, we've journaled back and forth at different times of our life. Um, I've read many of his journals and short and long sto stories. Um, oh. And I've always enjoyed everything I've ever read that Robert Pye has put on paper. Uh, and I think he's going to read a story for us today. You want that now? No, I'm just oh, okay. I'm just prepping oh. the audience that we're going to get a din, Bob story. Din, din. But I want everybody to understand a little bit more about Bob Pye. So we're going to interview Bob Pye for a couple minutes here to start Ooh. the podcast. So Robert Pye, I, I, we talked before, but how old are you, sir? I am 51, going to be 52 in just a few days. Yes, his birthday is coming up. It's a December birthday. Eh, yeah. Yay. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about December birthdays. Is they it bad suck. or they, good around Christmas? They were horrible. I don't think I recall a real birthday party. Now I take that back. I received one probably four years ago because I told my partner that, uh, you know, I've never had a party. No one's ever acknowledged my parties. Or, and he's like, all right, you're going to get one. And he tried to con me saying, well, I won these tickets down at this restaurant and we got to go. And I'm like, no, just go and get them. I'll stay here. I don't need to go. And he goes, no, no, no. You have to go with me because we have to sign for these tickets. And I'm like, 
That sounds really dumb. I don't, it's You're like, such a jerk. <laughs> so I showed up and there was this group of people saying, surprise. And I'm like, oh, yay, me. So Bob begged for it. And then when he got it, it sounds like he wasn't happy. Well, you know, I've never been one for the crowd. Bob has always blended into the wall. I'm not a wallflower. I've, I've, okay, maybe I've blended in, but there's always a mischievous side to me. If you, you might. And that's definitely where I was going with that. Bob was not a wallflower. He used it as camouflage. It was one of the things I learned from him early on. Other than the fact that I knew if I went into a room confident and I owned it, I pretty much could walk in it anywhere I wanted unless someone's high security person wanted to see my credentials. But other than that, I could walk in anywhere. But Bob Pye was the expert at sitting in the corner so nobody notices and then coming out and striking at the <laughs> opportune moment of probably watching something happening for a long period of time, and then he just... I was an observer, definitely a big-time observer. I, I, I find that fascinating. People watching is very amusing to me, at least when I was really into it. Now I... How about educational as well? Oh, very educational. Yeah. People are interesting creatures. In what way? Well, um, just their habits. Everybody has their own little niches, every little way. Like when I've walked into somebody's house, say like this one, you can learn some of their traits and some of their behaviors and some of the things that they do and they don't do. So it's just, that's a great point because I've never been the one to live through life with blinders on. So generally speaking, when I walk into places, I try to pay attention to what's going on around me. Unless of course I'm so consumed or concentrating on something that prevents me from doing it. But knowing your environment is key to safety and any possible future that you might want to go through. I mean, that's my first task when I'm, when I'm on an adventure, that's what I call my camping trips. If it's something new, then I need to find and locate the epicenter and then learn all about what I'm getting into and then explore. I don't just jump in sometimes. I have had a few let's get in the truck and go kind of moments, but mostly my trips are very calculated, very organized. There's a caveat to that, though. Basically, he creates a structure, and maybe you've changed this over the years, but when I've used to travel with you, it used to be a structure of this is the general things we wanted to experience. Correct. But then in the moment, there was any fluctuation possible. Oh, definitely. It, it wasn't regiment. It wasn't, it wasn't so anal that uh, you, you were like, oh, God, this is so tedious. Why do we have to do this? Because I said so. No, no. You, you went along for the flow, and and. and Sometimes things happen and you just don't stop it. That's what was the, the, the grandeur of it all. The surprise. Yes, the element of surprise. Even though you knew that it was there, it was, there's still an element of surprise. And that's a good point. Bob and I have done a lot of traveling. We'll continue to talk about this. But one of the things I definitely want to bring up is I highly recommend being well-researched on any place you go. Not because... You want to map out every second of the trip, but because you want to know what to expect when you get there, because it will allow you to experience a lot more when some of the little subtle, the little things that everybody knows about, you know about before you get there, you might skip by them to see things that maybe other people won't. Exactly. 
the subtle things. Right. I mean, like when we went to Yellowstone, I'm like, everybody wants to see Old Faithful. Yeah, we did that. But what's behind Old Faithful? What is a little bit further on the outskirts of Old Faithful? Like one of my favorite parts of Yellowstone is just across the street from the Old Faithful end, uh, the black sand area. It's small, but it's really beautiful. And it's it's unique um, because it has a few geysers. It's got lots of color. Uh, it's just something that I've enjoyed skirting off to. And there tends to be some wildlife in that area. Oh, definitely. Too. There t- oh, tends my. to be an, uh, a flock of elk over there. I mean, a couple of things, right? On, on one of my trips in Yellowstone, I was in the Black Sands area. Um, I, I have traveled a lot by myself. So I am by myself on this, this trip. And I'm kind of off the trail. I know that sounds bad, but I wasn't near. A, we don't recommend going off the trail on any trips. I'm just going to put that disclaimer right. out there. I, I wasn't doing anything stupid like getting close to a geothermic activity. I was not exactly where I should have been, but the situation only occurred because it was going to. When I came out of a clearing, a huge bison was right there in front of me, walking along. My jaw dropped, and I'm looking at this thing, and you could see him looking at me at the corner of his eye, but he just kept on going. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to make any sudden moves. I'm not going to do anything crazy. I'm just going to let him do his thing because I think, what are they, like 5,000 pounds or something like that? They could push over a car if they wanted to. They could absolutely maul us in a second yeah. so bisons can actually run faster than most people think yeah and they absolutely could be on you in a harpy and maul you and have those horns on you in no time flat there are signs all over the place that tell you stay away from the bison do not harass the bison go don't go near the bison so when i see people going up to them and trying to pet them i don't understand they think it's a zoo it's not a zoo it's a wild environment and these creatures are wild and they don't want you so much in their personal bubble. You know, we've created national parks to preserve the land and animals of our country. It was done long ago by one of our presidents. It was phenomenal that he did it. He was an avid outdoorsman hunter and I treasure national parks but it just amazes me at the stupidity of people treating national parks like zoos or, or acting like it's a zoo when these animals all have instincts of their own. They're in their natural environment. They're going to do what they have to do to protect themselves. They're going to be in survival mode. And not to mention the fact that people do dumb stuff in Yellowstone, like get into the geysers or fall into the geysers at hot springs and melt into nothing. Right, right, right. You know, and, and uh, yeah, these... <laughs> <laughs> I I can remember one of our trips when we were in Yellowstone. There was people everywhere, and they they were how do I say this? Just doing things like it was their backyard. It, it should be treated like a shrine. It should be treated um, like a delicate thing. But they had such little dis little regard for it all, and it just amazed me. And, and that's why I find the not so familiar places because I want to get away from these people because they're not going to go there. 
they want to stay next to Old Faithful and watch it go off every 70 to 90 minutes. Yeah, it just depends on how long it went off the last time to decide when how long it's going to go till it goes off again. So that is actually the easiest to gauge as far as when right. uh, of geysers in Yellowstone National Park. So it's the easiest to be able to say, oh, we know it's going to go off. We can go watch it. Yeah. So Yellowstone, we're gonna we bring up Yellowstone a lot because to me Yellowstone is the cash crop of our of our national parks. To me, it is the the best. It is the most diverse, and to me, it is the most thing like it's not on our planet that I've been in. Right. If if there was a heaven, that's what my heaven would look like. Oh, it's got everything. So it's many geo thermal features, especially Old Faithful Geyser, one of its most popular. It also has many types of ecosystems. The subalpine forest is the most abundant. It is the part of the South Central Rocky Forest. I'm just listening to some of the Wikipedia stuff, but at the end of the day, it's a super volcano. Exactly. And, and I'm tired of hearing about the threats that it's going to explode. Because if it does, just say goodbyes, and that's all you can do. You do know that National Park shifts every year, right? It shifts. So the, the actual uh, landmass that Yellowstone is part of shifts southwest like a foot and a half every year or something. Yeah, yeah. You, you can right. see the, the travel pattern of the caldera. Yeah. Yeah. So it actually moves. So you're on it. It's actually moving at a different um, speed than the, than the rest of the earth. I don't, how they, I don't think I've ever been there when there's been an earthquake. But I've seen many other evidence of nature in its full glory and terror. Bob's first trip to Yellowstone, I was fortunate enough to be on that first trip. And we went right after a fire or within a year of a fire. Not right after. No. It, was, it was the fire. The fire was in 88, 89, I believe. Oh, I thought it was 91. Well, there's fires that are every year. No, obviously. So we were there, and we stayed in an area where it was fire ravaged. It was really incredible to see oh, the petrified. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wasn't expecting something no. like that. You, you, that was you, my you, first, too. You do not expect that. I remember pulling next to this, this mountainside, and all you see is these giant toothpicks that are burnt to a crisp that used to be trees. And you're just like, what happened here? And you're like, it's a forest fire. It happened maybe... It's hard to tell once once they settled if it's well. You can tell by the new growth if it was two years ago or six years ago, because the those log pole pine, I believe they're called, mm -hmm. they just become tombstones of what used to be. They call them petrified. So what happens? No, they're not petrified. They're, they're not, not petrified. stones. No. No, 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 but it's like, isn't that what they call it? Like a petrified forest? Like a forest that... No, helped. petrified forest is thousands of years old. That's okay. made out of stone. Now. Thank you. And there is a petrified forest in Yellowstone. You can see the, the stumps. Um, that's the northern, northeastern portion of Yellowstone. Up by Tower over there. Uh, yeah. Yellowstone. Yeah, Yellowstone. yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, whew, I thought yeah. talk about Yellowstone. <laughs> Yellowstone's amazing. We will bring it closer to home in the ironics here in a minute, but that trip to me opened my eyes. That was my first really big trip other than going to Disney World, East Coast. That was my first trip, trip past the Mississippi River. 
and some of the experiences we had between the Black Hills, and we mentioned this in a previous podcast, uh, so we won't go into too much detail, but that trip to me was eye-opening. So then Bob and I have taken other trips. We've actually driven from Rochester, New York, to Las Vegas. Yeah, that was a fun trip. Yeah, and then we went around uh, the northern side of the Grand Canyon. Beautiful. And we went to Zion Canyon and Bryce Canyon mm-hmm. and the north rim of the Grand Canyon. Yep. That was our second big trip together, I believe. We yeah. called it the Tri-Canyon Split. Yeah, very good. Very good. Yeah, if we would... I remember getting to the north uh, section of he the Grand Canyon. He did pet me on the head, too, guys, when he said that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when we got into the parking lot, we kind of showered in the parking lot. Well, not really showered. We didn't get you know, all exposed, but uh, we did our little cleanup of and refreshing right there in the parking lot and we didn't care it's like people are just walking by yeah i'm just washing up i'm just gonna scrub my armpits here if you don't mind. <laughs> bob and i really have never been the two people that really ever have cared about what other people think about us so we've, we've never been those two people that are self-conscious uh, generally speaking, or worry about what others think about us because we're pretty comfortable in our own skins. At least I know I have for my whole life. Bob, I'll let him speak for himself a little bit. Well, does this shirt make me look fat? Yeah, well, oh. you're, yeah, you're you're a skinny mini. I don't know what you're I'm not that about. skinny, but thank you. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so Bob and I would have no issue cleaning ourselves in a parking lot at a national park in front of people and right. worry about what anybody. You, you got to do what you got to do. It, I call it living off the land. Mm-hmm. And when you when you said Disney World and Yellowstone. I saw Yellowstone as the National Park of Disney World or Disney World of of National Parks, something like that. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. Yeah. It is. You're right. It is. If if anybody who's been in national parks such as Acadia in Maine, Shenandoah National Park, which runs through Virginia, any of the other national parks on the East Coast, they're excellent. I've been to many of them. Smoky Mountain National Park, but Yellowstone, there's just something different. It's the crown jewel. It's the, the, the crown jewel. So how many times have you been to Yellowstone? Oh, boy. Um, let's see, every three years, starting in 94, sometimes missing a year, maybe 12 times. How many times have you taken that trip alone? One, two, three, maybe four times. So most people would listen to that and be like, what? I know, right? Thousands well, of miles, and you drove every time, right? I well, not every time, okay. no. Yeah. There was uh, one time I flew into Billings, rented a car, um, went through the north entrance on the northeast side. That was a new experience for me. Um, enjoyed it. I, I, I enjoyed flying and I enjoyed uh, driving. You know, I will never stop loving the, the road trip. It's, a, it's an experience because you see so much when you're on the road. Yes, it can be long and tedious sometimes, getting from point A to point B, but sometimes seeing those things that you normally don't see, like the small towns, you're like, oh, this is how people live. That's pretty cool. You know, it's like, how do you survive way out here? Oh, corn. Oh, more corn. Is that corn? <laughs> <laughs> Iowa. <laughs> Sorry, Iowa. I don't have any downloads in Iowa yet, so I can raz Iowa a little bit and not worry about insulting anybody. But Iowa's boring. Oh, boring. It just went on. That was the worst state. And how about this? My cousin 
who is a big cyclist and he's in his seventies. So he's kind of at the retirement age, but him and his buddies for like 10 years, like, like there's a big bike race across Ohio and he's done Ohio, but there's also one across Iowa he was telling me about. And he was trying to talk me into doing the one in Iowa. And I said, Paul, it's flat, (laughs) but there's too much corn for me. Oh man. (laughs) Do you remember us pulling aside one time thinking, Hey, Let's get some of this corn to eat. And it was <laughs> the worst. It was definitely corn for the cows. Yeah, <laughs> it was cattle corn. I'm like, this is horrible, horrible stuff. And we we're thinking in Iowa, we're going to get some home. <laughs> right. Home, we're going we're gonna to boil this stuff up tonight at our campsite. This is going to be the best. And we chewed in it. And we're like, oh, gosh, I can't yeah. believe the poor cows have to eat this. Right. That, that there was that concept of living off the land that didn't work too well. Well, and it was a little educational experience for us too. Right. Like corn isn't corn, just like cannabis isn't cannabis and tomatoes isn't tomatoes. Like there's a definitely different varieties of corn. Yeah. And I, you're right. I did not fully understand that. We assume that we'd be in Iowa and it would be this best sweet corn we've had because we were in Iowa where there's corn growing everywhere. Why right. wouldn't we have the best sweet corn? Where I mean, we they got to be an expert at it by now, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think the elevation, highest elevation in Iowa is like 700 feet. Really? No, I think it's uh, more than that, but I'm, I'm being a little facetious. Florida is 300 feet, by the way. Oh. Yeah, the highest peak in Florida is like 310 feet or something wow. like that. Wow. Yeah. Um, have, you, what was, uh, have you ever climbed any, any of the mountains I or have. hills in Yellowstone? I have. Yes, okay. I have. Which one? Oh, really? Um, well, it doesn't have to be a name, but how about... Um, it's by Heart you, Lake. Please. Um so what I did, I had to backpack in to Heart Lake in Yellowstone, and you had to get a permit. You cannot just say, I'm going to go backpacking. It's going to be fun. No, you had to get a permit, and um, <laughs> this was like the first time I ever backpacked. So I didn't know what I was doing. I brought two gallons of water, tons of canned food, um, a, a watering cleaning system. Ouch. Yeah, I had so much gear in my backpack, and it was humongous. It was just this tank of a back, backpack, and it was only nine miles into my campground. And I remember once I got to that campsite, so rustic. The, my my bathroom was a hole in the ground that was exposed to the world. There was no cute little walls with a little moon on it. No. I had to shit in the middle of a field where people would walk by on the trail next to me. And I'm like, hi, how are you doing? But anyways, when I got to the, that campsite, it was right by the lake. It was beautiful, beautiful spot. I took off my backpack and I thought I was going to die because every muscle in my body was just aching saying, why did you do this? Why did you do this to me? And I'm like, this is glorious. This is an amazing experience right now. I'm in pain. I'm in agony, but it's so beautiful here. So beautiful here. Did you did you find out what mountain that is right next to I'm looking. Lake? You keep going. I'm, okay. uh, I'm looking. I promise I'm going to find it for you while you're chatting. So <laughs> it wasn't until afterwards that I discovered that you didn't need to bring all that water. Well, okay. Well, that was, I, I learned that as I came. So the back. elevation at Heart Lake is 7,461 feet. It's a large backcountry lake in Yellowstone, nestled at the base of Mount Sheridan. There in we Yellow, go, Mount Yellowstone Sheridan National Park. Oh, so Mount, yeah. Mount Sheridan is what we're referencing right now for everybody. Right. So when I got to the campground, I, I set up camp, did what I had to do with my food, put it up 
in, in the trees away from the bears and all that kind of stuff in my little bear box that they give you. And I, I rest. So they provided the bear box for you. Did you, you have to rent it? You did have to rent it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I rested up that evening and the next morning I said, all right, it's time to go up Mount Sheridan. And, um, again, not prepared, not knowing what I'm doing, but I didn't care. I was going to do it anyways. I went up to Mount Sheridan and as the elevation started climbing higher and higher and higher, I noticed that my breathing was becoming more and more challenging. And there was a point where I was going to every switchback, stopping and panting like I could not breathe. When I urinated, there was no fluid in me. It was golden yellow because only the toxins were even flushed out of you because what was happening to Bob is, you know, elevation sickness. No, I wasn't, I wasn't getting sick. I was just not getting the oxygen and I was not drinking enough. No, but I did make it to the top. And I remember coming around the last bend and there was this ground covered with snow and it had a pink hue to it. And that is a bacteria in the snow. And I was warned prior, do not eat that snow because it will give you diarrhea in a worse way. So I'm like, okay, I'm good. I'm not going to be touching that stuff. But I did make a little snowman right there uh, next to the trail. And I kept on going. And at the top of Mount Sheridan is a ranger station. And that looks out for observation for any forest fires that might be in that area. And there was nobody at this ranger station and i did not know better so i walked into the ranger station made myself comfortable there was a bed and a kitchen and i'm like oh this is really comfortable right right (laughs) i'm gonna this guy are you kidding me (laughs) i'm gonna i'm gonna eat lunch here this is this is where i'm gonna you know hunker down for a few minutes or so um going through some papers and you know just taking it all in and and within like 10 minutes, a ranger shows up and he goes, what are you doing? I'm like, "Eh, just hanging out. And he goes, I'm going to pretend this didn't happen. He says to me, you're going to get out of this building and you're going to leave and go so far away that I don't see you right now. And I'm like, what? (laughs) He's like, you're in my home. Yeah. You're in my home. You don't belong here. I'm like, well, the door was open. (laughs) It's out west. Of course it's open, you punk. Get out of my house. Well, yeah, I didn't know. It's just like, you know. Bob goes through all unopened doors for anybody that hasn't realized it yet. <laughs> I, I thought this land was Aunt mine. Jess and back in the Adirondacks, yeah. around the same, uh, back in the 90s, the door was unlocked. Aunt Jess, that's how right, we stayed right. there Isn't that, that how the song goes? This land is my land. This is this land is your land. Except so. at the top of Mount Sheridan when they're worried about wildfires and animals and someone's actually living up there and you just walk into his house and start making your lunch. Right. So feeling a little humiliated, I <laughs> went out of the out of the building, sat down on a log and ate my peanut butter and jelly and my, my oats and raisins and all that good stuff and the ranger back then came back over to me he said like he never saw me he goes hey how you doing how's your hike up and i'm like what i just saw you but i did, i said that to myself and i'm so i played along and i'm like good uh thank you <laughs> so uh just so everybody knows yellowstone national park 
where he's referencing is, I want to say the southern portion of the park. It's just below Yellowstone Lake on off of Route 191. There is a trail that takes you to Hart Lake, and then from there you can get to the top of Mount Sheridan, uh, southern part of Yellowstone. For those of you who are interested in maybe going to Yellowstone, a couple of places I, I have actually flown into Bozeman, skied Big Sky, and then I went into Yellowstone with my son several years ago. We went into the West Yellowstone entrance. So in the wintertime, you can take snowmobile trips into Yellowstone. You can also take tracked vehicles that will take you from West Yellowstone entrance all the way down to um, Old Faithful. Yeah, I believe they're called the Yellow Coaches. Yep, the yellow coaches are red. Yeah, the the, the old red ones. Um, actually, when my son and I were there in 2015, it was the worst winter they have had there ever. Oh. And we had wheeled vehicles in February, spring break. Wheeled vehicles is the first time there was ever wheeled vehicles in the winter going through Yellowstone because there was no snow on any of the roads. Oh wow! Yeah. So worse when you're saying there was no winter. No winter, zero oh, snow. They yeah, need so that winter. They. That's right. And why? Why do they need that winter? Well, for many reasons, uh, not only for the water that it generates for the spring, but it also kills off some of the invasive um, insects that are destroying some of the uh, evergreens up there. That's correct. So we flew into Bozeman, which is north of Yellowstone National Park. Bob also referenced flying into Billings, Montana, which is also north of Yellowstone National Park. That's on the east side. Bozeman is more towards the west side. You could also fly into Jackson, uh, Jackson Hole, which is in the very small airport. Small airport, tough to get to. But those are three places you could fly to to get the closest to Yellowstone Mm -hmm. if you wanted the least amount of driving. Though I personally would recommend for a trip like this to fly into someplace like maybe Minneapolis uh, would be, I would say, the best cross and then take the route from Minneapolis, grab a rental vehicle, large of some sort, and make sure you go check out North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming, and Montana, and Yellowstone, and hit all those fun Badlands, Black Hills, Custer's Last Stand, Devil's Devil's Tower. Tower. Yeah. Just, that's what I recommend, at least once for everybody to do. And if if you're lucky enough, you'll get to see the Sturgis run with the motorcyclists. Yep, so Sturgis is one of the big biggest places where they have a motorcycle rally every yep. summer every august yeah every august thank you bob yeah so we went through there when our trip we were in june so we only saw and it was still like a lot of bikes in the town then so i can't even imagine during bike week how crazy it is but there's a lot of people who actually will trailer their motorcycles out there out west and then they end up taking the motorcycles through most of the national parks and driving their motorcycles through them there's a lot of people that will do that you see a lot of people in motorcycles oh out yeah, there in trailers. yeah so i want to play a little game with bob here Uh-oh. i like to say how many states I have flown over and driven in. And at this point, the only states, it's easier for me to say the states I haven't driven in than driven mm-hmm. in. So I want to see if you beat me. So I have never driven in Alaska or Hawaii. You either, right? So, we're either. Either, so right. we'll just talk about the 48 now. So okay. of the 48 states, the only states I have personally not driven in are... Washington, Oregon, Mississippi. What? No, you went through Mississippi. Driving through Mississippi? No, we went through Missouri and Oklahoma on the way. Yeah, so Mississippi I've not driven in. And Alabama and Louisiana. That is it. Five in the whole country. 
I have done every 48 state. Bastard. I knew the answer was going to be all 48, folks. I was setting him up. So tell <laughs> me, I want to I know why the heck you drove through Rhode Island, Delaware. It's get from point A to point B. But Rhode Island is out of the way. So how could you have... Po- I know how, how I was in Rhode Island because I was working for the post office. So I was working in Connecticut. So I cut through Connecticut, Rhode Island to get to the ocean when I was there for a day. So that's the only reason I was in Rhode Island. But I actually question the fact that you drove through Rhode Island. That, that You're right. Rhode Island and maybe Delaware. Maybe there's there's two. Do, 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 okay. Do. You still beat me by two. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> do they really count? I mean... Um, I have been downloaded in neither of those two states, so no, they don't count. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I, Bob and I do not say this because we're these big. We don't. We have a ton of money, so we can travel our faces off. What we do? No, Bob and I actually are of the accord that when we have vacation time, we travel, generally speaking, on all of our vacation time. It is very rare for me to take a vacation day and not be traveling. Even if it's a day skiing in Adirondacks, I, generally speaking, will not take a vacation day and stay in Rochester. Yeah. So, Bob, let's talk about you a little bit. So, so far we've talked about you. You've driven every state in this country, and almost people are like, oh, he was so lucky, da-da-da-da. So, Bob's not married. No. Bob comes from very humble beginnings. Bob's never been a man of heavy means. So what do you do for a living, Bob? I work with handicapped handicap adults. Do you want to name the company or no. not? Okay. Not so yet. you work with handicapped adults. How long have you been doing that? Oh, 20 years. Same facility or different? I bounced around a bit. Okay. Yeah. So a couple. So we're talking about a job that probably is, and I'm not saying this to Raz, Bob, but just put perspective on things for him. Maybe it's not a job that's very lucrative, correct? Definitely not. Definitely not. So uh, now why do you do this job then? I know why, but tell everybody, please. Oh, I do it because of the individuals that I take care of. Um, You know, I give them a pretty good experience. At least, you know, I'm not tooting my own horn, but my partner and I, she and I, we, give them a lot of different things that they normally don't get a chance to do. And especially with what my background of traveling, I want to do that for them as well. And it's local. You know, I, I, we don't just stay in Rochester. We will take them to any little parks that might be close at hand, like Letchworth. We love Letchworth. We have taken the individuals to Letchworth quite a few times. Not a lot of hiking or or walking with them because they can't um, do so much. But uh, yeah, I will definitely, I, I think I've pushed it even to Watkins Glen. That was more challenging because of the steps and I, I realized I'm like, uh, well, this and you have, and you have diff- people of different abilities, both physically and mentally, right? You have Correct. different yeah. challenges yeah. for everybody that, that you care for. <laughs> and when you say partner, you actually meaning like your work, Co- co-worker. Right. Everybody right. thinks she's my work wife. Yeah. Well, you guys are because you work together, what, eight hours a day, five days a week, And right? we've been together for, oh, maybe 11 years now. Excellent. What's her name? Nancy. Nancy. Excellent. So uh-huh. Nancy is Bob's work wife and it's normal for uh-huh. people to have yeah. a work wife. Why? Because life is, sp- I love splitting life up like this. 24 hours a day, eight hours of work, eight hours personal time, eight hours sleep. So generally speaking, if you're with someone, a third of the of the week or a little less than a third to a third and then if you do anything socially with those people generally speaking you're going to be very close to them like their family we also have the same mindset you know she likes the things that we do and that's important because if we have two people that work together and i'm like hey let's go to letchworth and my other person says 
what? I don't want to leave Rochester. I don't want to drive that far, which is not that far at all. Letchworth, I know we're going to get into this, is only 48 miles away, is it, I think? So let me reference this for people. He keeps saying the word Letchworth. It is called Letchworth State Park. For those of you who visit New York. The Grand Canyon of the East. It is by far the Grand Canyon East. It is a beautiful gorge, especially in the fall, but all every time of year, all year, Letchworth State Park is a great place to go. They have great amenities for kids and families. They have pool. They have camping. They have everything. So go ahead, Bob. Sorry to interrupt. It's okay. Um, so it's good to work with that kind of dynamics. And uh, we, we laugh, we joke around, we have a good time. And that's what helps the job to go along. And you pretty much make one minimum wage. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I've been there 20 years, so it's, you know, five cents more. <laughs> I'm painting a picture for everybody that here's a man that basically... He's talented. He could have a job different than this, making more money. No doubt. Oh. But, oh, you could, Bob. I'm looking. He's a phenomenal writer. If he wanted to have a writing job right now, making a little more money, he could. But I'm sure he does not want to be that technical, just popping out copy, because he loves working with the people that he works with. He cares about them. So he's showed up at my house in the past. So when when you and your partner, do you have a team of a certain amount of individuals responsible every day? I'm, I'm, I'm always curious in this environment of, of where adult care environment, how it kind of works out. Like, are you in a home or are you at a big facility? We, are, we are in a program that's it's called Without Walls. So we take them out into the community daily. We pick them up from their houses and we go do things. We have volunteer placements. We have... Um, educational things every once in a while, not too much because they can't handle much. Um, I like to, like I said, get them out of Rochester, especially when the warm weather comes along. We are never in the public's eye. And I understand that that's where all these agencies are gearing towards desensitizing the public. But sometimes when you turn around and you see a mob of handicapped people coming at you. And if you're not familiar with them, it's not comfortable. Uh, you have to be tolerant. And if you know the reality, sometimes people are not tolerant. People will... Or patient. Or and patient. Yeah, yeah, you need huge. patience. Lots of patience with these people that I take care of, with the individuals that I take care of. And now you see why he's my co-host. It's the patience. Because I have patience dealing with Brian, yeah. So generally speaking, your partner and yourself, do you pick up the same people every day? Yes. Same individuals. Five, so, you have five, so the two of you, holy smokes, think about this. The two of you have five individuals that every day you pick them up, you plan the day for them, and then you drop them off at the end of the day. That and is correct. everything in between is up to you two. That is correct. Do you have access to bikes for everybody? We go to the YMCA. They don't ride bikes. Once a week, we What's are... What's the transportation then? We're in a van, a small club van. So this is interesting to me. So the organization Without Walls assigns one van to two people for five individuals five and days we're, a week. we're one of many clusters like this. Yeah. That's a, that's a lot of resource and money. It's cheaper than a building. No, I agree. But what I'm saying is for five individuals, yeah. think about the resources being thrown and some of these resources are privately funded and some 
funded by the government? What do you, what yes, do you, right? that is correct. Okay, so so their families are responsible for part of the cost of it, and the government picks up the rest. Is that right? Yes. The, uh, there's a lot of these individuals are not involved with their families. So you're picking them up from group homes. homes. Group homes, yeah. Okay. So how do the how do they get selected out of this home? They have to be assigned to the without. Like, I'm curious. This is interesting to me. Uh, really? Um, uh, it's whether or not they can have a level of independence. You you can't just send someone out into the community, and especially with only two staff, because if you have a individual who's challenged mentally, he might have or she might have what we call behaviors. And if they have a high degree of behaviors, meaning they might want to beat the crap out of you or the person next to them or throw something, then the agency doesn't see that as a good fit to be out in the community. So the individuals that we take care of in my group do not have a high degree of behaviors. I don't think they really have any behaviors at all besides being stubborn, um, which can be tedious. Of the five, do you have the same five individuals? Same five every and, day. And how long have you had these five? Because obviously you gain relationships with these five people. How long um, have you had these five have been with you? Uh, let's see. This particular run is about, about two years right now. So you know these five people like the back of your hand. Oh, yeah. I've got one that is so enamored with me, and I don't understand why. And I keep telling him, I'm like, do you know me? I'm not a nice person. You just like, don't attach yourself to me because I'm not oh, going to. Introduce him to me. I'll tell him how bad you are. <laughs> he won't believe you. He yeah. won't. He thinks I'm just, you know, he, he says I'm his second dad. And I'm like, oh, no, you have one dad. Let's, let's keep it at that. Because <laughs> well, then you're the bad uncle. No, I'm the second dad. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing. Yeah, I suppose. But I don't want that. I don't you want that want label. Responsibility. I, I don't want that of uh, that level of. Uh, I'm going to say this of interest from the individu- individuals to me. You know, I, you want more of a work. Right. You go home. And, and you can't do that with them. No, you know, I, can, yeah. I yeah. can have that with my coworkers, but with them, they don't see that. No, it's personal. Yeah, right. It's, it's right. a personal relationship that they have. And especially, you know, all the new experiences that we've given them, they're going to start to grow. And, and, and the person they're growing with is you as a staff. So they see you as their leader, as their nurturer, as their... Um, one to go for answers for. Well, I mean, you're basically their their athletic director slash like entertainment director. We're all of it, you know. We we take care of so many needs. I mean, we got to look after their their medical medical concerns, their their health and safety, their physical interests. You know, the fact when they might have to go to the bathroom. Yeah, that too. They're the independent in that area. So of the five. Explain to me like what their uh, what their handicaps are. I guess I'm just trying to picture the five people that you're with. Um, I've got one that has autism, an older gentleman. Uh, no, two cannabis. That, cannabis. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm gonna do. 
Hi. This is my job. I knew I'd get cannabis in this episode. <laughs> I knew I'd get cannabis in the, the mention of autism is just the trigger was all I needed. I got a great story after this about that, but go ahead. Uh, two with autism, which is not so so extreme where they don't want to be disassociated with people because sometimes people with autism don't want other physical contact from people. So it's 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 a a slighter degree of it. Um, uh, my, I call him my stalker. Uh, he has uh, Parkinson's and um, cannabis. Oh God. Yeah. Hi, hi, hi stalker's mom. This is Bob. I take care of your son. Um, we work on a podcast and we would really like to get, isn't it amazing that three out of the five people already, we can put cannabis on and they'd be fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm kidding, folks. I'm, I'm absolutely kidding here. I'm not, trying not to make light of this. Uh, so you have two that are with autism. One that's got Parkinson's, like born with Parkinson's. Yes. Yeah. Oh man, it's pretty bad. Tough. Yeah. Yeah. He's got battery packs oh, in his man. chest to help him regulate his uh, nerves and muscles. Yep. Sometimes he has a hard time walking, and I become his crutch. Uh, and then. Um, the other two just have like uh, mental. It, it, they don't. They're. They don't have downs. It's. It's just a mental incapacity. Mm -hmm. So, do you give them any input on what you do on a daily basis? Uh, I try to not talk about my personal life with them. No, no, no. I'm talking about um, what you choose to do with them per day. Do you we give have a calendar. Input? We have a monthly calendar. That so you create or they I or create. You, yeah. you, you, you and your partner personally yes, create. Yes, we create. So my, my partner, question is, do you let any of those five give you any input of creating that calendar? Well, the, the calendar has been created because of their input. So when it's already on paper, it's like, this is what we want to do. It's there. You know, and from past experiences. Of course, yeah. So you figured out what, over the last two years of being with these people, you know where they respond, with what they do like, what they don't like, and you you kind of, you don't, basically, I, I'm kind of trying to paint the picture at, you don't um, say, we're doing this whether you like it or not because me and Never. Nancy want to do it. No, 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 no. You know, that's I mean, we try to give them as much options as possible, but 99.9% .9 of the time when you ask these guys, it's not that they can't think on their own. They can't really think on their own. Uh, you say, what would you guys like to do? And they look at you with a blank stare at you and they say, I don't know. What do you want to do? And that's the same response all the time. Mm -hmm. So that's what makes them who they are. Right. So you get to know them. You say, well, they like going to the Y. I'm going to take them to the Y. They want to go swimming. Let's go swimming. Um, because you're in my group, we're going to go on a hike today. And they like it now. They, they enjoy going to the parks and eating lunch in the park in the warm weather. We don't do it in the winter. Sorry, we're not, I'm not that cruel. So out of these five, was there any of them that bucked you at the beginning of doing these outdoor activities? So in the beginning of the two years or, or whenever they popped into your group... Like, was there ever like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Like really buck against. And if that's the case, would you pull them out of your group and replace them with somebody or would that you... decision is not up to me. They were that's put curious, in the, yeah. in my group because of the location in which they live in. And I don't want to say molded, but we created the structure of 
the excuse me the um, calendar, and we've we basically stick to it only because it has worked for them. You know, like I said, and it is routine. We 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 have a volunteer placement where we do Meals on Wheels, and we go to the YMCA, and we try to at least once a week get out of Rochester, even if it's to Niagara Falls or uh, the Buffalo Zoo or something like that, we try to get out of Rochester. Are they good with the drive? or do They love the drive. Oh, they do. Yeah, it's a time for them to sleep. Not that they, you know, we don't encourage the sleep, but... It just happens. It's a, it's a relaxing, peaceful environment for them. Do they have trouble sleeping in general? No, they, they don't. They all sleep well. Yeah, oh God. They can, it's amazing how some of these people can just sleep on a dime, you know, just boom, they're out. I wish I could sleep Me like that. Me too. Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? Oh. So just because Bob touched on a couple things where cannabis has been known to make improvements, now on his five characters that he just described that he works with on a daily basis, they're at the outer end of the spectrum here. And these, these are people that have been classified clinically as have some kind of something missing that they can't reclaim. Correct. But autism and cannabis at a glance is kind of an intriguing subject. So I'm just going to list a couple bullet points on autism and cannabis at a glance. Autism is a collection of disorders that impact brain development, characterized by communication difficulties, social interaction problems, repetitive and sometimes injurious behaviors. You probably see that every day, right? Mm -hmm. What's injurious mean? It's not in the jury. It's uh... <laughs> my researcher, folks. Yeah, my computer's not on. In yeah, my re how good is this? His computer's not on. That's because I've been distracting him because we're That's learning right. about Bob today. Autism is caused by a combination of genetic mutations. The word is injurious that you're looking up, Bob, by the way. Oh, thank you. Autism is caused by a combination of genetic mutations and environmental factors such as advanced parental age and pregnancy problems. Autism management focuses on therapies over drugs, including behavioral modification and social skills coaching. Do you guys do that with, with, with your crew? Coping skills? Yeah, social skills definitely, coaching. Yeah, definitely. And, and behavior modification. No, that's not really what I do. I mean, I try to make sure they don't do anything what they shouldn't be doing. You know, I am fatherly in that aspect. Like, uh, for example, my stalker will do something and I'm like, why did you just do that? Nobody wants that to occur. So maybe we shouldn't be doing something like that. And of course I'll get the, the level of mentality he has is approximately maybe a six, seven year old. Why? Well, because we really don't want to do that. People will feel uncomfortable if something like that continues. Why? Well, because and then it goes on and on and you're just like, okay, you win. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just going to stop talking. So how old is he? He's 26. Okay. But with the mental age of six or seven, would you say of the five, that's pretty close to the mental age of everybody or is there a range? There is a range. I would say he's probably the youngest mentally. Um, and then it would probably be maybe mid-teen to some of the others. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Back to, awesome, to autism. A couple 
other while he is looking up the word injurious. Well, I got it. I got it. Oh, already. what is it? What's injurious mean? Injurious behaviors. Causing or likely to cause damage or harm. And yes, we definitely see that with autistic. Oh, he put it on. His, he's got his <laughs> cheaters on. He's definitely over the age of 50, everybody. There are no clinical studies on cannabis and autism, but there is a growing body of positive anecdotal evidence from doctors and parents. Lack of scientific data keeps doctors from endorsing cannabis in treating autism, but some promising ancillary research exists, like a lot. The many active compounds in cannabis may make proper dosing for children difficult to pinpoint, creating controversy in the medical community over its use. I just want to make sure we had a little cannabis talk in our travel and learning about Bob episode. So Bob, round, it, round it back around. Please. Yes, I'm not someone of financial means. <laughs> I'm I'm not struggling because I've gotten to the age where, you know, I've taken care of all my bills and I'm good at that now. So Bob is very disciplined. Bob would be very disciplined to the point where he would know everything, every penny coming into his house. He would have factored when it was coming in. If I remember his budget back in the day, yeah, he knew every penny that came in, where it had to be allotted to. And if I right. said, Bob, do you want to do this or that? If it wasn't in his budget for that week, that we weren't going to do that. I became an expert in paying off bills. I, yeah. I really learned how to do that. And I became good at it. And I, you know, I, I took pride in that. And he bought a, a duplex from his landlord back yep. in the 90s. Yeah, right? back that in 99. Yeah. Yep. And that was very successful for a while until the neighborhood became not so desirable. And I could not stand living there any longer. And that's when I moved in with my partner. Very nice. So this is that's a new change for you. This is, living with somebody. So, yeah, living yeah, with somebody. Yeah. <laughs> how, how long has it been since you're in that predicament? Uh, we have been living <laughs> together now for two years. Prior to that, though, when how, how when was it since you lived with someone? I've had roommates. Okay. But you know they're always on the short stick saying, "Oh, look what time it is! It's time for you to move out." <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was, my last roommate probably was about 10 years ago or so. I saw Larry. So Larry was no his roommate when, uh, when I knew Bob. And Larry's an interesting cat. Roommates are an interesting subject. I've had a, lot, uh, I've had a couple interesting college roommates that uh, I could tell some stories about. But Larry was an interesting coot. If I'm not mistaken, he was a big radio guy, right? Like a ham guy, wasn't he? Yeah. Right? And he thought he was. Yeah, he wanted to be. Um, very antisocial. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he still had his rag of hair, like, unkempt. And uh, I don't think he recognized me. I said hello to him. He didn't, I don't know. Oh. If he, I don't think he recognized me. But, I wouldn't say hi to him. Oh, of course I would, yes. I wouldn't. Well, that's too bad for you. Because he was just creepy. So let me tell you a story about him. Okay. This is a roommate that Bob had back when we were all young, working at Friendly. Right, right, right. About before. He would never leave his room. He lived in that room, smoked in that room, ate in his room, never came out. And his, li his bedroom was off the living room. So it was always very like, what's Larry doing in there? Why won't he come out? I don't know anymore. I don't care. So at, at, after a few years of actually living with him, only mostly because of necessity. He was uh, a nice guy. Sure. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I had a third bedroom, which was upstairs across from mine. And I had another roommate. His name is Aaron. 
and he's actually your brother-in-law at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, we were, we became good friends, and we did some traveling together as well. But Aaron, uh, he w- he had a little devil in him, or has <laughs> a little devil. My ex-brother-in-law loves to bust balls. Oh, uh, yeah. Let's, yeah. Let's not mince words. Yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> I love him. Aaron Cohen, love him. He called Larry from his bedroom, which was upstairs on the cell phone. <laughs> and he did kind of the whole, Larry, how you doing? You know, spooky. And, and Larry was starting to get a little frustrated. And I'm in my bedroom, which was across the hall from Aaron's. And he would hang up and he would call back and hang up and call back. And how Larry didn't catch on to this, I don't know. But the two of us were just laughing and laughing and laughing. And it was it was funny. I mean, you had to admit it was funny. So he got Bob to got to tell a story on how he's a mean head sometimes. I what? like that. Mean? No, I that wasn't my doing. That was Aaron. You Aaron were in the middle of it all. You. I did not encourage it. So what we are talking about now is back to a subject that I've talked about in the past about enabling bad behavior. So this is an example of Bob what? enabling bad behavior. We're all entitled to make our own mistakes and grow from them. I couldn't stop Aaron doing what he was doing. He had to learn whether or not he was doing something wrong. As you were laughing your butt off on the, yeah. in your bed <laughs> across the room. Only because at that point, Larry had become so toxic to the household that I, I just like, he's got to go. All right, so enough about Larry. Okay, yeah. Back to the fact that basically we are talking about an individual who has driven across every state in this fine U.S. except for Rhode Island. All right, except and, for Rhode Island. I'll, I'll and Delaware. Yeah, sure. Are these, I've are driven they, through both. Are they really states? They are states. They are tiny, but they are states. I think I stepped on it once. <laughs> we definitely stepped on I stepped on Delaware when I went to the Sixer game. I felt bad. There was a bunch of people that were like, yeah, they're underneath my shoe going, no. <laughs> But I got, I moved it and I went to the Sixer game. It was all good. Is that gum on my shoe? No, that's Delaware. <laughs> Delaware. <laughs> How about this? For I always ask where people are from. So I go to travel to Philadelphia and I realized after a couple hours, I can't ask people the question that I normally ask people. Are you from here? No, I'm from Jersey. Okay. Let me define this for Philadelphia. Okay. Philadelphia, Delaware, and New Jersey are all like this tri-state area. Okay. Mm-hmm. Philadelphia's right there. So Phil, Delaware and New Jersey to Philadelphia, like to go to a game, is like going from Greece to Henrietta. But no, they can't say they're from here. They got to say, no, I'm from Jersey. Greece to Henrietta is Rochester, <sighs> New York, Monroe like, County. Okay, folks, if I say, are you from here? And you're from 10 miles from the stadium, but it might be a different state. You're from here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, ha- I learned in Philly, I have to ask specifically, are you from Philly? Or are you from the area I had to start saying by the end of the game? Are you from the general area? And I spoke a little slower too. I don't know why. Oh boy. No, I'm kidding. Philadelphia <laughs> people were great. I loved Philly. I know there's people listening to me in Philly. So I'm only kidding. I cannot wait to get down there again. And I plan on being another maybe around the maybe in a couple weeks. Maybe. We'll okay. see. Good recovery. Thank you. I had to because yeah. I do love Philadelphia. But Nobody wants to admit they're from Philly. No, I'm from Jersey. No, I'm from Delaware. Isn't that supposed to be brotherly love? Yeah. I I, I just didn't get like, you know, I don't know. They just wanted to specifically say they were from Jersey. Okay. (laughs) Okay. You're you're from Jersey. Okay. Okay. Good. I can't be friends with Jersey people, so that's fine. I never saw you on MTV, but okay. (laughs) 
And by the way, I don't have many people downloading Jersey, so it's okay if we step on Jersey. Okay. Right. Right. They could listen to my pot, my YouTube channel. So you people from Jersey going to ski up in Vermont, New York, Brian Lane Ski Videos, my YouTube channel, my shameful plug. <laughs> you okay. got a plug. You got a plug. I did. All right. So now I want to switch topics slightly to the Adirondacks. Uh, uh-huh. I love the Adirondacks. I would love to tell this story. I think I told it before, but the first time I went to the Adirondacks with Bob Pye on a trip. Prior to that, I think my parents brought us up to Old Forge once, but I was very young. So other than that, my parents, we had a cottage out on Lake Ontario. We had season passes to Darien Lake for a couple of years. We took some trips to Florida. We took trips to Washington, D.C., my parents were not rich. My mom, basically, the job she worked was to pay for our traveling. And she instilled travel in us as an important thing to go see our country, to get out of where you live, and to gain experiences. And she believed that helped you grow as a person. So my mom, all the money she made was basically to travel. So I went up to the Adirondacks with Bob the first time. I came back. I razzed my parents. I must have sounded like the biggest, fattest jerk I had been 18, I believe at the time, or 17. I think it was the summer before my senior or summer before my freshman year in college. I came back from a trip to the Adirondacks. I don't even remember where the first spot in the Adirondacks I went with Bob was. I think it was Old Forge area. But I don't remember off the time I had. But all I'm, I remember Newcomb. coming back. It wasn't Newcomb our first yeah. time, was it? Yeah. The first time we went up was mm-hmm. Newcomb? Okay. So it was Newcomb, and it, we um, stayed on Harris Lake uh, camping. Yeah. Yeah. So... That is near the origination point of the Hudson River. For those of you who don't know, it's considered the heart of the Adirondacks. If you go to Newcomb, New York, there's a sign that shows the high peaks. It's a view north to the high peaks. And on that sign, it says Newcomb, heart of the Adirondacks. Love it there. It is definitely my favorite place to go. It's off of Route 28 North above Long Lake. Such a beautiful area. And then north of 28.9, Newcomb, basically to Lake Placid, that whole Essex County area, pretty much is forever wild in between there. So north of Newcomb to Lake Placid is pretty much wide open. And that's the first place I went. So I come back to my dad and I say, Dad, I cannot believe you didn't. We didn't have any fun as kids at all. Are you kidding me? We didn't have any fun. My dad's like, what? What are, you, what are you talking about? What about our trips to Florida? What about with Darien Lake and, and having a cottage and this and that? And I said, Dad, the Adirondacks are incredible. You didn't take us to Adirondacks. You, why isn't the 1980? We didn't go to Lake Placid to the Olympics. We had the Olympics in the Adirondacks in 1980. Why at eight years old did you not drive me in your yellow car that probably couldn't have made it there? Why didn't you drive me up there? My dad just laughed at me. Brian, yeah, you were just such a tortured child that you had no experiences. That was basically his answer to me. And he was right. We had great experiences. But I only got the taste of the Adirondacks at 18 years old, and I have fallen in love to the point now where I have a tattoo on me for Lake Placid, and I have been up to the Adirondacks numerous, numerous times. But it all started really with Bob's AAR adventures that he created for us. The annual Adirondack run. That's right, the AARs. So what we did was every fall we took a trip. I've mentioned in previous podcast, but that started my passion for the Adirondacks. And I know for a fact Bob's been to the Adirondacks just as many times as me. So oh yeah, what's your favorite area in the Adirondacks? So I'm looking at the whole map now, and one of the unique things about the Adirondacks is it's many of the national parks across our country can fit inside of the 
template footprint that you would call the Adirondacks. And the Adirondacks are pretty much from the Canadian border all the way down to south of Route 8, uh, Utica, Lake, south of Lake George, Albany, Utica, Syracuse, all the way up to the Canadian border, pretty much. Right. I, do you know, and I'm pretty sure it's, this is the facts, that the Adirondacks is actually not a state park? That is correct. It is a collaboration of private and public land. Correct. Mm-hmm. That's okay. correct. So it's not a state park. So the Adirondacks as a whole is a collaborative collection of private businesses, private owners of property, but they also have a, a lot of things in their permits, in their, in their not leases. There, there but, are forever wild areas. Yes. And then there are forever wild areas. And then basically you could live, and then behind you could be a forever wild state forest that will always be a state forest and never right. not in your backyard. Very common. Yep. It has close to 6 million acres of public and private land. Whew. 6 million acres. Yeah, 6 million acres. That is phenomenal. There are over 2,000 mountains in the Antarctic regions. And I think one time I heard that you can fit all the national parks of the country into that footprint. No. No. I read that it's as big as Yellowstone. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. We'll have to look that up. Yep. It looks about the shape of Yellowstone. I think Yellowstone's not as big, though. I really think it's Yellowstone and the Tetons could fit in the Adirondacks, if I'm not mistaken. We'll look that up. So, in general, you say Newcomb's your favorite place? Uh, I, I do like Newcomb, but I also like uh, the uh, Lake Placid area. I love the high peaks. Once I discovered the high peaks, I, I, I don't think I went back down um, to Newcomb that much, especially Whiteface. I mean, I never did the skiing like you did. But I've hiked to the top of Whiteface many times. I've gone up there several times for the fall. You know, I go there mid-October. It's cold. It's beautiful with the array of colors. And I went there one time where we went to bed in the freezing cold in October and woke up and there was snow all over Whiteface Mountain. It was just so beautiful. True story. There's nothing better than when you wake up and the landscape in the Adirondacks looks 100% different than when you went to bed. And it happens oh, yeah. often. Yeah. doesn't take much. My favorite area of the Adirondacks is Lake Placid by far. I love Mirror Lake. I love the high peaks. Mm-hmm. But I'm also getting a greater respect for the southern part of the Adirondacks to the point where I'm actually looking in the speculator area as a potential property here in the next couple of years. Wow. For residents or something? Part-time residents, yeah. Recreational. Both. Yeah, part-time residents and recreational. Down there, there's Lake Pleasant as well as pretty much any kind of venture you want. Oak Mountain to ski. Mm. 45 minutes from Gore. From Speculator. Yeah, yeah. You can snowmobile, mountain bike. They have mountain bike trails there now. Snowmobiling is big in the wintertime in the Adirondacks, yeah. When I was up at Gore a couple weeks ago, the snowmobiling, you're not allowed this time of year because of hunters to be in the interior of the trails, but along the roads a couple weeks ago already, they had 15 inches of snow. Man, it looked like a freeway of... Snowmobiles already. So that's why I, and also 
in the summertime, there's plenty of two different lakes in that area for boating. So that's why I'm thinking about the speculator area. My son and I had a lot of fun there while he was young. It was a place where he could jump on a bike and not be overwhelmed by two technical trails, um, which is nice. So that's my favorite. But I'm looking on the Adirondack map right now, and I'm realizing that I have hit a lot of different areas, but a couple of mountains that I've climbed that I would love to put out there for people as things to do within a quick proximity to an interstate in the Adirondacks. So basically the Adirondacks have two parallel routes, Route 81 and Route 87. Route 81, it kind of has the west side of the Adirondacks, and Route 87 runs up the east side of the Adirondacks, if that makes sense. Route 90 is kind of the bottom border uh, that can take you across, and there's many different places you can pop off 90 to go north in the Adirondacks. I recommend Route 365 out of Verona, and then taking a diagonal turn kind of up in the Adirondacks, so you can go up Route 28, 28 north, 30. You can hit a lot Route 8. There's a lot of different ways you can go from there. That's kind of how I recommend it. Bob, one, a couple of the mountains close proximity to Route 87 that I would just like to, before I give it back to Bob here, Poco Moonshine, it's a very short hike, under two miles. It's got like a 1,200 vertical in under two miles, though. So if you can imagine the steep pitch of yeah. it, extremely steep, but it's a phenomenal view of Route 87 and then of Screw, the um, Screwn River, which goes down to Lake George. Really cool view there. So I've done that. That is on the west, I'm sorry, east side of the Adirondacks, up near exit 33. For those of you who are interested, a Poco Moonshine. That's one of my, one of my favorites. Uh, I've also down near the Scroon Lake area. I've done a lot of flat hiking along Route 74. There's Paradox Lake, Putnam Pond, and Rogers Rock. Great area for kids, families to go back to maybe with pets. Uh, there's a couple ponds in there where dogs can swim. That's a nice area. So this is all stuff above the craziness of Lake George but still get out into the backcountry a little bit. I love that Scroon Lake up, up to that Poco Moonshine in that area. I, th- I think it's really cool for people um, to explore. Yeah, it sounds like you've explored that area more than I have. I I haven't gone into it that much. I preferred closer to, uh, like I said, Lake Flaccid. And I believe Giant Mountain is by Lake Placid, or yes. not too far away. Yeah, Giant Mountain is just south of Lake Placid on Route 73. Yep. It was my son's first high peak. L- Giant Mountain is? Mm-hmm. I used to love that one. I love that. That's my favorite. And the reason why Giant is so cool, for those of you who don't know, Giant is a beast. It's top five of the high peaks in the Adirondacks. But it has views almost the whole way up. Oh, right, right. Because there's a, it's not that it's a, it's not above vegetation, all of it, but because of the heavy rock on Giant, it creates views almost the whole. So you can pretty much, every time you stop to take a rest, you can turn around and get a view, which is very rare in the Adirondacks to have a mountain that open like that. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But go ahead. So keep talking about what else you like about the Adirondacks. Oh, it used to be my go-to before I learned about leaving Rochester into the West and Southwest. And I would do it almost every weekend. Uh, I'd just pack up my car and go by myself, tag someone with me. It was just, it was so easy to get there. And you, I mean, the lower area of the Adirondacks, you can get there in three hours from Rochester. Door to door, just so people don't realize this, I can get from Rochester to Gore, which is North Creek, in three hours and 30 minutes door to door. So so I can actually be in the Adirondacks an hour prior to that. Legal speed? 
Legal speed. Oh, okay. Going 365, yeah, 365 to Route 12 through Speculator. I get okay. there at 330. Yep. Huh? Yeah, I made that trip many. I took it and made that trip a couple weeks ago. Good. Um, so, yeah, three and a half hours. So, this is not, and what we're trying to point out to everybody is it's within your grasp. Oh, exactly. It's a world out there, big, huge. I mean, like, like we said, over 2,000 mountains, 40 of them high peaks with the average above 4,000 feet in height. How many? How many? Over 2,000 mountains and over, and, and 40 high peak mountains, those being over 4,000 feet in That's height. That's 47 of them, by the way. There's 40, I'm sorry, 46. That are There's above 4,000? Yes. There's 46 peaks above 4,000 elevation in the Adirondacks. It's called the 46er Club if you climb all 46. But technically, one of the 46 on that list is not 4,000 feet. And technically, there's one, another one off that's not on that list that is. So technically, there is 46, but the list is skewed. Uh-huh. Because one of them was measured wrong back in the day. Yes, measured oh, wrong. Oh, Can't right. believe that. There are about 8,000 square miles of mountains in the Adirondack and 2,000 miles of foot trails. 2,000 miles of foot trails. It's unlimited. And there's every kind of foot trail you imagine. So back to Giant real quick, just a couple quick facts before we jump back to what Bob's saying. Uh, Giant Mountain is the 12th highest peak, so it's not top five. I was absolutely wrong. The elevation is 4,626 feet at the top of Giant. And it's about a it's about 3,000 foot elevation gain from the beginning of the trail to the top. Just for some reference for people. And they it's also known as Giant of the Valley due to its stature looking over Keene Valley and St. Hubert's to the west. Have you, you've, how many times have you climbed Giant, Bob? Oh, I don't remember. It's been a while, too, since I've done things like that. Because now when I, once I get my vacation, my, my trips are planning to the big things like Yellowstone, Yosemite. Um, this year it's going to be either into Arizona or back to Yosemite. I haven't quite decided on which one I want to do. So the Adirondacks are, are, are still always part of me, always part of me, but I'm now traveling more out into the further realms. Mm-hmm. Me as well. I have no issue. We, we referenced a point earlier about traveling alone. I travel alone a lot and always have. And I know you, you have traveled alone. Most people would see the two of us as like, what? what? A travel alone? Unsafe? Da, da, da. So have you Tell ever me. felt unsafe traveling alone? Or what's your perspective of traveling alone? I have one time felt scared out of my mind. And um, I was actually, uh, I quit my job in 1997. And in August of 19, 1997, and I traveled for two and a half months on my own. That's where I got to see most of the United States. And on my way back, I hit uh, the Ozarks. And I've never heard so many bizarre sounds, saw so many strange creatures. And camping in this environment was like being in a jungle. And all I kept thinking was there are some madmen out there with hatchets that are going to slice open my tent in this middle of nowhere and just 
dump my body in some swamp and I'm like out of there the next morning. I was gone. I was like, it was an adventure. I'm leaving. Bye-bye. So that was about the only time. And you've been everywhere. So to have an experience like that is pretty significant. Yeah. I've, I've had a few other moments where I've had where I call them night terrors, uh, especially when I'm camping by myself. I, 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 my mind plays tricks on me. It, it creates these illusions that there's something beyond the thin veil of my tent. And it's usually menacing. Um, I was in Yellowstone once where I thought there was something rustling and leaned up against the tent. Um, I thought it was maybe another person, but then I'm thinking maybe it was like a deer or something that just rested, rested there. I've had, uh, was there actually anything there? I, I didn't get out of the tent. Yeah. So I you didn't feel, uh, no, no, I was, uh, you know, you, you get to this point where you're almost terrified. And I'm like, just go to sleep. You're tired. Your mind's playing games on you. Just go to sleep. And eventually I fell asleep with, you know, that monicum of terror lingering still but i woke woke up the next day so that's a good sign you know you're still here breathing yeah yeah what advice would you give to people because you have you and i both travel on a lot what advice would you give to people oh traveling alone you got to be prepared for every scenario that you can think of uh make sure you have good food not not like five course meals or anything like that but nutritious food in your vehicle, water, of course, you got to make sure you have water and that, that, that there water, when you're going hiking, even if it's a mile hike, bring some water. Do not leave the beginning of a trail without some kind of water. Um, gear. You never know What's going to happen when you get away from a trailhead? To most people, think a mile is not a big deal. No, exactly. Like, They're like, but oh, I can you do never it. know what can happen between the car and the spot you turn for the turn back number one, or if you get lost and take one wrong turn. How about on top of water? Good footwear every time you go in. Oh, definitely. Well. I know how many people? I've seen people climbing mountains in the Adirondacks. This is no lie. With high heels, what strapped sandals? Stop it. Flip flops. Come on now. How do you walk in or hike in flip flops? I hate flip flops. How does anybody let their friend go in the woods with that footwear on if you'd know anything was going on? Was this, this one? People, no, was this, this one group? No, this is multiple times oh. over multiple years. This is not an isolated situation. It scares the bejesus out of me because I know for a fact that you get in Adirondacks, you can get a half mile in and be turned around and be lost for hours. It can happen. It can yeah. happen to the best of you. I, I will always pack. I have a little backpack and I have a larger backpack, but I will always pack some kind of snack and some water. You know, even if it's a light snack. I mean, if it's a mile hike, then of course it's not going to be a huge meal. But if I know I'm going to be out there for at least three hours, I want more than one snack because even if I don't eat it, I know it's there. And you never, like you said, you never know. The only two things I always make sure I have in my small packs, because I always have a small backpack every time I hike as well, is a small first aid kit. So I have a small plastic first aid kit that everything is self-contained inside of. 
And then I also always make sure there's a headlamp. So those are two things that are permanently in my small backpack. So then I just add my water and my snacks. Then when I'm out on the trail, I always have a quick first aid kit. I have the headlamp in case something happens where you need light. And then I have the food and water. Those are the four things I always make sure short hikes I have on me. Now, long hikes is more than that. But right, right. I think between you and I, that should pass enough information to people. Um, and also, compass is always great. I oh, mean, yeah. never count on... Okay, if you were going to go in the woods and count on your phone for anything, you are failing yourself the minute you step into the woods. Yeah, don't be surprised if you have no f- no coverage. Yeah, nothing. Like, even your compass might not work. Like, right. most people are like, well, the compass just works at work. Oh, okay, well, good luck. <laughs> don't <laughs> like, you need data? When, when your phone is like... No, not for compass. It's supposed to be... That's oh. supposed to be a device just, just works on your phone. You don't need data for okay. it. But my point is, if someone is an idiot and doesn't put it on airplane mode or something. So they're walking the Adirondacks with their phone on. Right, it's okay? searching. And it's draining and searching, so it's constantly draining the battery. So all of a sudden, five hours later, yeah, I didn't use my phone all day. I should have full power to use a compass. Why is the power gone? Well, because your phone has been trying to find signal the whole time. You didn't put on airline mode while you were in the valley where you weren't going to get a signal anyways, and you wasted your battery to the point now where you need the compass, and you count on your phone for that compass. Now, five hours later, you pulled out your bag, even though you never used it, and it's still dead. Just a thought, folks. Right. A couple of the hikes, would you, a couple of hikes you would recommend for people? Oh, start in the beginning like I did. Mount Goodnow was a great one. It's, it's a, in a educational environment. I believe there is a forestry. Huntington or, State Forest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as you're going... On the mountain, I believe there was educational little placket placards here and there. It's, it was a smooth climb up. It wasn't strenuous. And it gives you a small taste of what the Adirondacks are. Both of my kids climb that mountain under the age of eight, just so you know. And it's a very easy meandering trail. It's not a very technical trail. There's a couple technical sections, but not very long. Yeah. And it's well-maintained. And there are points along the way of the trail that will teach you things about that mountain there used to be pamphlets but now i think it's just number references and you can re- you can have a uh, something that references it and then across the street from the trailhead to that is also a really good interpretive center the nukem interpretive nature center, center? Yeah, nature center i love it there. it is by far one of the best nature centers in the whole adirondacks and i think it's free it is free, yeah. and it basically is in between two lakes, so it has a little peninsula that you can go out and hike trails on the peninsula and around both lakes, Rich Lake and Harris Lake. You can see both from there, and they have some animals as well that they're reha- rehabbing there. I believe there was a handful in the nature center last time I was there, like small rodents, that kind of stuff, oh. um, but they also had like anything you can find, the ironic skeletons, like fur, like you name it. It's a very very thorough interpretive center. So the Newcomb Nature Center, I recommend if anybody wants to go and get away from the commercialization of Old Forge Inlet area, continue up Route 28, and then you see Blue Mountain Lake and Long Lake, and that's another cool area to go and hang out. Right. But then if you want to get past that, Newcomb's that next spot, and that's where you can get away from everything. So you maybe stay in Long Lake so you and your family could be happy being around some of the hubbub and then make that journey up Route 28 or 30 over to Indian Lake, which is another cool yeah, you'll, drive. You'll enter Newcomb and you'll be like, there's nothing here. Nothing. There's The town is so small that you don't even think it's a town. It's huh? not. No, there, it's basically the, the only thing that I would call a town for Newcomb is the Nature Center. Right. 
And there's one store that's on the corner where you turn into the campground for Harris Lake that rents canoes for Hudson River and also sells ice cream and some uh, like a, like some outdoor gear. Is that on the backside? It's right where the Hudson River, the bridge over the Hudson so River. So after, yeah, after, after Newcomb. Yep, correct. Yep, yep. After Newcomb. Yep. Yep, that's yep. the only signs of commercial there are in that town. No right. doubt. Now, what about maybe a trail you would recommend a little more south? Let's say people that haven't been up the Ironics, they're coming from either Albany, Syracuse, Rochester, Buffalo, and they don't want to drive four and a half hours to Newcomb or five hours to Lake Placid. So maybe something a little more south. Would you have any recommendations? I've always enjoyed Inlet. Uh, I believe that it's close to Bald Mountain. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's a small mountain, very easy trail, good views. Uh, I, I'm not sure. Did it have a fire tower on top of Bald Mountain? I don't know if it was on top of that one or Rocky, Rocky Point. Mountain, Rock Mountain, Rocky Mountain. Something like that. Yeah. There, there's two mountains right next to each other. So where he's talking about is Old Forge Inlet area. I believe Inlet's before Old Forge, right? Inlet is after Old Forge. Oh, after. Okay. So Old Forge. So if you are looking to ha- have a trip, with your family up the Adirondacks and you want to pick one spot where you know everybody will be happy even if they don't want to do any kind of hiking at all. Old Forge could be the place for you. It's only about a three and a half hour drive from Rochester. It's got Water Safari Park. It's got a miniature golf course. It's got arcade, uh, two or three arcades. It's a it's a bustling little town. It used to have a McDonald's. Does it still have a McDonald's? It still has McDonald's, yeah. And pizza places. And there's a swimming area. Um, I believe it's Eighth Lake there at Old Forge, but maybe Seventh Lake. One of the numbered lakes is there, and you can swim yep. in the summertime. Mm-hmm. It also has a really cool novelty store. I don't remember the name of it now, but it's like one of those stores you go in the Adirondacks, and there's like everything you can possibly imagine in that store, like from tourist stuff to stuff you need camping and everything in between. It's one of those stores I love to go and spend an hour at anytime I'm in a new town. And then Old on- Forge and Macaulay Mountain, which you can take the chairlift off in the summertime and hike down. So you can actually get up to see a view of the whole Old Forge and the Adirondacks without the stress of climbing and still hike down. So that's called Macaulay Mountain in Old, in Old Forge. So And there's a ton of mountain bike trails around the Old Forge area. Yeah, and definitely. Area. So that is the spot to go to if you're bringing a general family and you want to give them the light dosing of the Adirondacks with all the creature comforts. Or if you want to take that family and get away from the creature comfort but still stay easy, I would recommend Cranberry Lake. And that's a totally different spot of the Adirondacks. So we're going to move off of Route 28 now up to Route 3. Yeah. So Route 3 is the northern, to me, one of the northern borders of the Adirondacks. It's not the border because it goes more north than that. But Route 3 is the one route that takes you all the way across from Watertown. And it ends up going into the the above Whiteface, Wilmington Notch. Route 3 ends up going up. Sarnak? Sarnak Lake? Yeah, and beyond. Through Saranac, and then Route 3 goes up to the top corner above Lake Champlain. So it goes above Lake oh, Platt, right. above Whiteface, above all that. Yeah, yeah. So it's really rustic. It goes up. So Route 3 takes you across, and Cranberry Lake is probably an hour, hour and a half outside of Watertown, I believe. Yeah, that right. sounds about and right. Bear yeah. Mountain, I believe, is the... Yeah. Right, Bear Mountain is a small mountain you can climb next to, next to Cranberry Lake. In the campground. In the state campground. Yeah, so you can stay in the state campground, and the trailhead for the mountain is in the campground. That's right. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, it's a you. beautiful little campground. Very nice. And it gives a view of the lake from the campground, like south, southwest. So it's a 
good yes. view of sunsets yep. from that campground yep. as well. Lots so, of spots on the lake. So you, you've got your, your campground or your campsites that are just a little off the lake, and you've got some prime real estate right on that lake. And then I recommend another mountain in that area. Uh, anything in between Cranberry Lake and Saranac Lake, you're going to get good views of the high peaks facing east. Yeah. The names are escaping me at the moment. One of them I referenced earlier when my son climbed like a little spider on the top of, and now I can't think of the name of it. But there's, there's a lot of good mountains along that Route 3. Um, short hike type mountains, like two, 3,000 feet. There's no 4,000 footers coming in from the west until you really hit Lake Placid or a little bit before. Going up a little bit further in that area uh, towards Saranac, a good place to camp is uh, Fish Creek Pond or is it Fish Creek Lake? No, Fish Creek Pond. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yep. Yep. Uh, so those are a couple spots. One of the other things, if anybody likes through hiking in the Adirondacks, one of my bucket list items is to do the um, Northville Placid Trail, which starts in Northville and then runs north to Lake Placid. And basically, it is all through Forever Wilderness, the whole trail. Is that an overnight trail? No, it's a multi-day trail. A multi-day trail. Yeah, I would wow. say I think it's a three- to five-dayer for most people wow. who do it. Maybe That's... You could knife through it in probably two days. But Northville, I believe, is down by where 30 and 8 come together. I'm sorry, Northville is even lower than that. Northville is actually down by Northampton Beach, Sakandaga down by Sakadaga Lake, that's where Northville is. So it starts in Sakadaga Lake and goes all the way up to Lake Placid from there. So the Northville Placid Trail is one of those where it's basically in the valley the whole time, all the way up to Placid. So you're never really going up. It goes up along Long Lake, the Cold River, uh, Duck Hole, goes all the way up through that way. And then it starts at the Sakadaga River, basically follows riverbeds and creeks all the way up. Another another option for people in the Adirondacks. But we're running out of time here, and one of the things Bob wanted to do today was read us a story that he wrote, and Ugh. I love Bob's writing. That's why he's on here, and I want to give afford him this chance to do this before we wrap up our little travel podcast. Going back a few years to August of 2014, I traveled in the Virginia slash, no, it was Virginia, definitely Virginia area, and I went into the Blue Ridge Mountains to go camping. And what I discovered up there was uh, not too many people camped up in the Blue Ridge area. And I wrote a little, little story of my experience. So this is, this is my attempt. August 4th, 2014. If I felt that my... Uh, take two. If I felt that my life was deprived of a good fright... Then this evening I stirred the cauldron of my imagination and made up for any given time away from a good ghostly chill. Alone once again in my travels, I ventured down south to the Blue Ridge Parkway for some camping and hiking. On my second evening, I stopped at a campground at the Rocky Knob location, which is lo also located by M Mayberry Mill. The mill is a historical spot with references of a time over a hundred years ago, but I am moving away from my tale, and that lies within the campgrounds. When I arrived in the afternoon, I could not help but to notice how deserted the place appeared. 
a ranger told me that the parkway was not seeing the numbers of campers like it once did, leading to half of the campground closed to public use. By the time evening approached, there must have been no more than seven parties on hand, which included me, leaving 43 of the active sites vacant and 50 additional sites that were closed off towards the back of the grounds. I was tucked on the outer rim of the main loop away from the other six parties, not because I planned it that way, it just happened to be that way. With the evening creeping in, I started the night before the arrival of the complete darkness with a traditional campfire. After a time of sitting around my fire, I began to hear a wave of sound echoing in the trees as the moon was rising and the light of day became so faint that you could barely see the road. Driven by curiosity, my need to discover the source of the sound was the moment I decided that this was a good time to leave my sight and go for a nighttime stroll to the vacant back loop of the campground. As I moved away from my sight, the sound in the trees, a chattering of alien-like language, reverberated from one side of the road over to the other. This harsh discourse of sound was that of a nighttime population of insects composing of katydids, locusts, and cicadas, all hidden in the branches in the multitude of trees of the forest. Though I knew what they were, I could not help but to picture them as tiny little creatures tucked underneath the million leaves with bulbous eyes that stared out into the night. They did not blink. They just peered down from their perch with tiny mouths of razor-like teeth, waiting for night, waiting for the right moment to drop down out of the darkness. Surprisingly, I did not falter in my exploration despite the increase in the volume of the sound above me. I followed the road without the initial aid of my light, which I had in my pocket, but felt that I did not need it at that moment. I could still see the shift in the lighter grays of the pavement over the consuming blackness that had claimed the grounds around me. Breaching the gate of the closed-off section, I noticed at once that the road was slipping away from a clear view due to the overlaying debris of pine needles, branches, and dead leaves. To my right and left, as I moved inward, were the parking spaces of the forgotten campsites littered with piles of branches and broken through the darkness in light gray mounds. Some of the piles were long and a few feet above the ground like raised tombs which were left behind and abandoned. The faint light that lingered could not penetrate the top layers of the branches, creating a mystery as to what was buried within the depths. The deeper I pressed into the back section of the loop, the darker it was becoming, and the need to switch on my light was now a necessity. Reaching into my pocket, I pulled out my headlamp and placed it on my head, switching the beam into a, its lowest setting. A bluish-white light poured out of the lamp, but before I could use it to get my bearings, 
a fluttering of wings shot down before me, attempting to avoid contact of the intruder in my space. I twirled to my left, and then again another twirl, completing a circle before the entity fell back into the darkness. I unconsciously spoke out loud, saying, Oh, it's a bat, as if giving the creature its title, a way of dispersing my surprise of its presence. With the light now shining before me, I could not help but to notice how nature was so quickly reclaiming this once-used campground. Grass that at one time was held back from growth by the blade of a mower was left unattended and began to slowly consume fire pits and picnic tables with its new heights. The road that was not only paved over with fallen debris also revealed to become the prime territory of new growth where weeds and saplings took root. This was a ghost town, complete with old buildings such as the once-used bathrooms and service huts. Resuming my walk, I curved in the path of the road, noticing that the sound of the chittering insects was dimmer than it was when I started off. In the distance, breaking the newly realized hush, was a sudden barking of a dog that made me catch my breath before I thought how cliché a howling animal was while I was in the middle of the woods, alone and without protection. At least I thought I was alone, in which at that moment, when the dog stopped barking, I heard before me, but just off to the right, the snapping of branches and the rustling of something beyond my view given to me by my headlight. Two more clicks at the side of my headlamp intensified the strength of the light and revealed a family of deer making its way through the trees. Startled by the light and my presence, they pounced over brush and vanished quickly beyond my range as I calmly continued along the last section of the old loop. Though I did not get very far to the exit as I swept the woods with my lamp, the light caught a set of eyes bright as fire staring at me. I did not hear movement coming from the direction of where the eyes hovered. At first I believed that they belonged to an owl until I moved in closer. Frozen in its stance was a single buck that did not move until my light had completely revealed to me what it was. As quickly as the first group of deer dashed into the woods, this buck too had turned and slipped into the darkness. Certain that I was at this time once again alone in the dark, I completed my walk in the forgotten loop and found my way back to the campsite, where a dying fire was holding on to its warmth with a pile of glowing coals. I built the fire back up and sat beside it as the flames reached for the emptiness of the night and wondered, just how was I going to be able to sleep soundly this evening after my imagination had just put me through that? That was awesome. Thank you. So this is why when Bob travels alone, if he's with someone else, he's not going to stop to write that experience. It's just no. going to happen. Exactly. I, I prefer sometimes to go by myself because my imagination can 
be spurred and create interesting little stories. I think creative writing is a dying breed. I think society in general is getting to be wanting fast action. They want 10-second snips. They want short videos, da-da-da. I think this art is dying, and I'm so happy you read that today. And to rekindle, hopefully in some people, that writing down your experiences or experiences they have in your own head is a great way to exercise your brain. Definitely. Gain insights to life. What else does writing do for you, Bob? It it makes life more colorful, you know, and it gives more explanation as to what's going on around me. And I learn from my writing. You know, I put things down on paper and I reread it and then I want to correct and become better at the writing that I put down. I want to be more educated not because it's a necessity, but because it it makes me see things more clear. You know, to to walk around aimlessly can be great for some people, but I want to know more. I want to see more. I want to explore more. And my writing is is another form of capturing all that. It's it's like my photography. When did you start your love of writing? Oh. Like, how old are you? Just curious. Oh, wow. Um, I can remember writing when I was in my teens. I would write stupid little stories here and there. And, uh, you know, my friend Ted, he helped me a lot in that, the creative processes. That's cannabis, everybody. <laughs> yeah. A nickname for cannabis. Yeah. Definitely help expand your mind while you're starting the writing process more creative oh. right? versus school, scholastic writing. Oh, definitely. You know, and it would take me on journeys that I could never do. And, and that's why I used it as much as I did because it opened a doorway to a different world. It's the same world, but it had more detail to it. Uh, so I wanted to create in that. I wanted to develop that. I wanted to enlighten. I want to enhance that. And that's what writing did for me. It, it created a world that I saw and I was able to put that down on paper and I wanted to do it right. So I had to educate myself a little. Are you writing more now or less now than you used I'm to? I'm writing less now because I'm not traveling alone as much as I used to. I still write, um, you know, uh, still doing a journal. I, I am still doing a journal. Like daily? Not dr- no, not as daily. Yeah. Uh, probably some, somewhat close to weekly. I remember doing a little something for my journal a couple of weeks back and a coworker that was not my normal coworker. He was all in my business. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm writing. Well, what are you writing? I'm, I'm like, this is something that doesn't pertain to you. I'm writing things down and it's all in my head. It's things that I perceive. It was all it was about is the morning of waking up and heading to work. So it was basically the writing of that morning. It, someone might say, you know, it's just a commute to work, but so much happened that if you looked at it from a different perspective, you could see, there was anguish, there was excitement, there was 
um, beauty. There was so much to see around me, and I had to write it down. And sometimes... Most people would just look past that stuff. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's just, okay to stop and smell the roses, folks. Take inventory of what's happening around you and acknowledge it and, and say, hmm, I'm a human on this planet, not just designed to move from my house to work, but to enjoy the experience in between. Yeah. Right? That's simple. Right? Exactly. So if anything everybody got out of this message is you don't need money to travel. You don't need money to travel. You absolutely should research where you're going to travel. Plan, plan, plan. Travel alone if you have to, because too many people will always say, yes, I want to go. And then when it comes down to it, won't go. So in that case, what do you do, Bob? See the world. You, you do not hesitate. You see that world. And if you have questions, reach out on hempthletics.com. There's the contact section of our website now. You can reach out to Bob and I. We will pass on any of our experiences with our travels. Love to. We have traveled all over this country with people, by ourselves. I have driven to California by myself. I have driven to Florida by myself. I have been skiing by myself at multiple places, and I have climbed mountains by myself and with my dog. Bob, what have you done on your own as far as traveling? Ditto without the dog. Bob's been right there. So we would love to pass on any of that information to you to let you know how we prepared for these trips. I'm a heavy backpacker. Bob's done some backpacking, but aside from backpacking, we've done, we do a lot of trips out of our cars, out of campsites. We don't spend much money on hotels. We never have. It's all about living off the land when you can. Exactly. And there are ways to live off the land. Very simply. Yes. Very simply. And if, if we would love to talk ad nauseum with anybody who would like to talk to us. So remember everybody, hempletics.com. We will have gear up there eventually very soon. I hope by the end of the year, I'm sorry, the beginning of the year, January, I'm hoping to have the gear up there for everybody who's been begging for it. Uh, But hempletics.com, we have our affiliate links. Please reach out to those businesses and purchase from them, especially during this holiday season. In addition, there's some pictures and videos, including a fun little video when I was in Vegas dressed as Teen Wolf. Please make sure you check it out at hempletics.com. Bob, thank you very much for sharing your stories. Thank you. This was our, our holiday show. Yeah. yeah, kind of a holiday show here. Plus, I wanted to make sure everybody knew who Bob Pye was instead of just the guy that I razz at and you hear him oh. sarcasm. Now you know a little bit about himself. We'll still learn about his never, family. Never enough sarcasm. Yes, never enough sarcasm. That's true. We do need sarcasm because laughing, smiling, dancing is something, uh, and crying, we should do everything. And it keeps people on their toes. Amen. Uh, on behalf of Justin Passamonte, Robert Pye, and myself, We appreciate you. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. Have a great holiday, and we'll talk to you next week.